This episode is sponsored by Schneider Electric. Climate change is here, and so is the requirement to understand and report the risks that it brings to your business. As your partner in sustainability, Schneider Electric can help you navigate the winds of change. To see how, visit se.com forward slash climate risk. From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, the voices of this week's Verge Net Zero conference, including Oxford's Kaya Axelson on the components of a quality net zero framework, and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse on why companies need to disclose their political footprint. Also, seven opportunities to strengthen ocean-based climate strategies, and why the U.S. is finally getting serious about nature-based solutions. It's the birds and the trees this week on 350. (laughs) It's December 9th, 2022. Welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350 as 2022 starts to wind down. We're all so glad to have you with us. And joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey, always in the holiday spirit, is Green Biz Editorial Director, Heather Clancy. Hello, Heather. Hello, Joel. Can you hear me chuckling about the birds in the trees well, comment you yeah. made? <laughs> a little chuckle. I don't know. It's, it's a win for me when I can get a little chuckle a, out of you. It was so a that's, quiet that's, that's, chuckle. Yeah, yeah. That was good. I, you know, I have, to, I have to admit, a guilty pleasure has become, for me, on Facebook, there's a, I guess it's maybe on TikTok, there's a dad jokes channel. Oh no. <laughs> and it's just some of them are just so bad but so good. I should send you the link. Okay. Just, yeah, I know. I this is horrible to admit, but No, it's 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 when I need it, it, I need a little chill. It's chill great out. that I, you I admitted it. I love that. My my only hesitation is is that something I want to start getting into and or well, uh, you know, is that a, 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 will I will I find that a guilty pleasure or will I just feel Guilty. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but um, had a great How event this week. Uh, Verge yeah. Net Zero, a virtual event. Um, mm-hmm. Some great thousands of uh, 4,000 plus people uh, signed up for that. And uh, uh, I mean, kudos, kudos to the whole team for just coming together the way we do to put together this event, but especially to Jim Giles, who uh, single-handedly put together the program and hosted it, emceed it, along with our amazing editorial team. Uh, creative team, sorry. We have an edit, amazing editorial team too that you you lead, Heather, but uh, spe- specifically the creative team, uh, Julia Van and Robert Wan and, and Sophie Devereaux uh, just did some really top-notch videos uh, to interstitial throughout the, the, the plenary session. Anyway, I uh, hope you can check it out. It's all available online and de- on demand. Uh, you just need to sign up. It's all free. So check that out in, in a little bit. Um, Heather, as she does so well every time we have an event, has queued up some <laughs> uh, some audio clips from the main stage and uh, some some great conversations ahead there. Any any big takeaways from you on uh, on the event, Heather? Oh no, I'm just always inspired by all of the innovation that goes on, and and uh, I so I did enjoy the, the the commentary on carbon removal innovations um that was a good session for me and i just yeah it, it's 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 always great to get a level sex so kaya, kaya axelson um 
her presentation was also really um, enlightening. On the <laughs> and state not, of the not art. Not always of... good. Yeah, on the state of net zero. Yeah. Enlightening on a not always happy level. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, just it's it was a good grounding, a good grounding in this whole movement and um, a reminder of things that we need to follow up on and be more critical about. So yep. I, I always love that. Well, speaking of following up on things, let's follow up on the Week in Review. I'm going to start with a piece about something I'm leaning into in 2023. It's from our um, our friends at uh, the World Resources Institute. Um, it's, we picked it up from them. And uh, it's called Seven Opportunities to Strengthen Ocean-Based Action in Climate Strategies. This is something that we've talked about a little bit before. Blue economy, the idea that the ocean is not just something that's damaged by climate change, but it is something that can absolutely participate in the solutions. And that doesn't get a lot of um, attention. Right now, the ocean absorbs about 25% of the human-caused CO2 emissions that are released into the atmosphere, but we could absolutely be accelerating that if we spent much more time um, talking about the solutions that are possible. And so this piece kind of outlines some areas of focus as well as the the uh, sort of state of things um, w- with respect to how, how uh, countries are, are using them. So I'll, I'll just point to one as an example. Um, we, we, we talked about mangroves and seagrasses and salt marshes as a carbon sink um, and as a way of accelerating um, sequestration. Right now, um, 29 of the, the um, nationally determined contributions um, for for climate, you know, climate action, if you will, include that sort of um, usage out of 106, I think, is the total. So that's not that's, you know, considering how effective that particular plan of action can be, that's not nearly enough. Um, but that's just one example. It's just there's just sort of this whole piece just really highlights the opportunity for um, for us to really dive in, if you will, to ways of, of making the ocean part of the solution. Well, I'd expect nothing less from you as a longtime uh, <laughs> uh, scuba diver mm-hmm. uh, to, to take a deep dive here. And what I like about this piece is it sort of covers the sort of the three uh, sort of big buckets that any uh, solution set, at least in, in climate, usually needs to uh, cover, which is the policy piece, the technology piece, and 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 the finance piece. Uh, and and I think that's uh, you know sort of looks looks at sort of the fullness of that. And um, and of course, uh, not all the technology is you know hardware kinds of, or software kind of technology. A lot of it is the mm-hmm. I guess softer technology of of actually supporting mangroves. Uh, you know. Uh, forests and and re- regenerating those and and kelp forests and and other things that help not just uh, reduce storm surge and and flooding on the coastal mm-hmm. side but also improves the the health of 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 the oceans themselves and the critters in them and and the ocean's ability to absorb carbon dioxide so it's you know it's almost as if it's all a system um wow and uh, but 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 thunk. that's what what's great about this piece is that it sort of touches on all of the the, the various things, which I guess is why they put this together at WRI as they are such uh, uh, great uh, uh, thought leaders on the policy and, and technology side mm-hmm. themselves. So um, 
That was good. But, you know, it, it sort of relates in a lot of ways to a piece that I wrote this week, which, if you don't mind uh, jumping over to that, um, about a, a new a Biden administration framework that happened during COP27 last month, but didn't get much, hardly almost no media attention. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, this was a, a roadmap that the Biden administration published on nature-based solutions quote, to fight climate change, strengthen communities, and support local economies. So again, sort of looking at the, uh, the, the fullness of what nature does in terms of, of, of the benefits we get out of it, as well as the support that it needs from us. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's just a roadmap, but it, it's sort of, uh, you know, I call it sort of a bold initiative in that it really aligns uh, the United States with the other countries that have long been not only thinking about nature-based solutions, but including them uh, in the, the, you're referring to the nationally determined contributions that uh, all countries are supposed to be submitting and, and hewing to as part of the 2015 Paris Agreement on climate change. Um, so uh, I really like that the administration is, is, uh, is, is jumping into this and realizing the importance to the American economy, to the global economy of nature, we've all long talked about and cited that statistic that, that roughly half the 80 trillion plus uh, dollar global GDP, global economy, is based on nature. And, and, and here there's a, at least some uh, small steps in really supporting that from the, from the U.S. side. Yeah, and I think that... Um... This, this is just becoming more and more clear. There's there were some other numbers out this week, and I'm I'm trying to think about. I think was it is it ten trillion? Uh, in you were just naming some other um, figures, but there were some other reports out this week, and also because of the, the the biodiversity cop that was going on in Montreal. But I think that um, for me, this just underscores how the, everything's connected, right? I mean. You do this thing, it has this ripple effect over here, not to use the water stuff again, but it's just, it's just time. It's just time for us to, you know, not, not rely so heavily on technology, but also look at sort of the, the most uh, um, impressive technology of all and ecosystem all, which is earth, right? And, and it's, it's the mother of all, of all technical advances. We should be copying it, yeah. so. And we should also be understanding it better. And one of the things that this roadmap mm. did, which I think is uh, can be helpful, you know, and I love this quote. I talked to Sean Martin, who's the vice president for climate change adaptation and resilience at WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, and uh, he's been thinking about nature-based solutions for a long time. And and his, he and his team working with the Biden administration on, uh, I'm sure, had some fingerprints on on this roadmap. He said, when it comes to nature-based solutions, everyone understands what it is. And everyone understands something different, um, and and, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's you know it's a lot of for a lot of people it's planting trees, um, mm -hmm. and of course it's much much more than that. It's 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 saving habitats and and restoring wetlands and mango swamp uh, mangrove swamps and and a whole range of other things uh, that uh, that that are important to do not just in the oceans but in in wetlands and in even in deserts and other places. So. Um, Nature-based solutions, it's been on the radar for a long time. A lot of companies talk about it, even though they may only be talking about the tree planting or some other small piece of it. But great to see that um, 
the that the U.S. is finally on board in some some fashion, and and we'll see. You know, I mean, there's a new Congress coming in; they may kill all this. You never know. But um, for the time being, uh, the Biden administration is quietly, or maybe too quietly, uh, continuing to push forward where they can without legislative help. I'm going to just make one other little quick plug or comment on this because for me, this the marriage and the union of smart technical, you know, te- technology on the, inf- especially on the information technology side and nature is going to be what we really need here. Because, and in fact, it came up in net zero, virtual net zero this week, the, the, the monitoring um, verification area, you know, being able to understand and really track and, and then also act on how to, you know, there, there are ways that we can, you know, short of geoengineering, there are ways we can help accelerate what, what nature does so well on its own. And that's a perfect union of, of um, effort, I think. So I'm actually, I want to go to one last piece. Um, this is just one of those those uh, sort of aha moments for me. I, I, I loved reading it. It's called Finding Your, quote, Sustainability and dot, 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 end quote. It's, it's a part of our higher learning column that um, is edited by Jesse Klein. And the author of this week's is Caroline James over at Atlantic Packaging. And she just writes about the the sort of, you know, it's not enough to say, yes, I'm in sustainability. Okay, I'm in sustainability and, and for me, I'm in sustainability and journalism, right? I write about climate tech. And for me, I I feel that I am part of the sustainability community. And uh, if you will, if there is, if that word is is appropriate. Um, Yeah, but... And, and my expertise is in telling stories, in storytelling about the, the good and the bad and the possible and the not so possible. Um, and so as I read this, I thought, yes, of course, you have to have this and, this expertise. That's really, really drives um, action. You know, you want all of these, this wisdom from other areas. So I'm just, I know you've been thinking about this quite a bit as well. So I'm curious about your feedback on this particular story. We all get a lot of calls from from young people or even mid-career changers, people who want to quote unquote, get into sustainability or climate tech or whatever the, the framing is for that individual. <clears throat> and they want to pick, you know, our brain about stuff. And, and 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 often, what do I study? What certifications do I need? How do I go about getting a job? And of course, that's what this uh, higher learning, um, uh, H-I-R-E learning, mm-hmm. the column is all about. And and what I inevitably tell them, first of all, I tell them a little story here, uh, which is um, when I was uh, uh, in journalism school at University of California at Berkeley, um, uh, back when we were still, I think, chiseling in stone. Um, it was the last year, mine was the last year that one could get an undergraduate degree in journalism. They abolished the program, not because of me. Uh, but um, what they basically said is, if you want to be a journalist, sure, take writing courses and stuff, but go learn something, learn economics, learn biology, learn sports, learn French, learn, you know, learn something and then if you really still want to be a journalist, yeah, you can get your master's uh, in journalism. And as a lot of people do did, I did not. Um, and, and I think that that's really the analogy here is that 
if you want to get into sustainability, I mean, I've long said that sustainability is just too important to be left to sustainability departments. It needs to be uh, spread throughout the company. So if you really want a, a job in sustainability, go learn something, learn economics, learn international trade, learn marketing and communications, learn supply chain, learn, you know, finance or learn, learn something that and then bring your green gene, if you will, to that discipline and, and make change in that way. That's what sustainability needs, at least in business, is, is, is people who can uh, who knows stuff about how business works and understands sustainability. So that's the sustainability and piece uh, part of this piece. Uh, I just, I, I, I still think that's uh, great advice and people who have come back to me years later and, and said, you know, thank you for that. Cause that really helped move me into, you know, realizing that I wanted to be in finance and, I could bring my sustainability interest to that, and that's exactly what I'm doing now. So um, I'm so glad that that Caroline James from Atlantic Packaging sort of codified all this thinking in her own way in this piece about finding your sustainability and. Hey, want some airtime on the podcast? We're seeking one-minute-long submissions for our annual Outlook episodes, answering the following question. As a sustainability professional, what is your hope for 2023? To participate, send your audio file to me, heather at greenbiz.com, and start with a brief introduction. For example, I would say, hi, I'm Heather Clancy, Editorial Director at GreenBiz. And my hope for 2023 is that corporations will finally start embedding climate justice considerations into their climate action and sustainability plans. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, you get the idea. The deadline for submissions is Monday, December 12th, and selected responses will be aired in the December 16th and January 7th episodes. So come on, get talking. Hope to hear your submissions. Well, as we said earlier this week, we had our Verge Net Zero, our two-day virtual conference. And Heather, you've pulled some uh, audio from the main stage on that. Uh, what do you got for us? So thank you for asking. I have a spotlight on two of the inspiring keynote speakers. There were so many, but I picked these two because they got me thinking. So the first person I'd like to highlight is Kaya Axelson. Um, She's the Net Zero Policy Engagement Fellow of the University of Oxford. She's part of a team there. I saw her actually speak at COP um, in Scotland on a, a wonderful panel um, about how, how to include youth perspectives. So that's another digression. But in this particular presentation, she offered a detailed update on the commitments of both countries and corporations to Net Zero, which was fascinating. The snippet I've chosen describes what the Oxford team just considers to be components of what they call a high quality net zero framework. Uh, they use the acronym SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, to describe the criteria. Here's Kaya Axelson. I'll walk you through the key components of a high quality standard and share our latest data on how the private sector is performing. As I step through the criteria, I'll use a simple acronym, SCORE, to help you remember core net zero components. There may be a pop quiz later. The S in SCORE stands for short-term plans of action, also known as interim targets. 
Setting a net zero target for 2050 is not an excuse to delay taking action today. Yet, only around half of companies with net zero commitments have any type of interim emission reduction target. And this is critically insufficient. C stands for coverage of greenhouse gases. One of the most common greenwashing critiques is that net zero targets don't cover the full scope of emissions. And our research shows that this complaint is valid. Six out of every 10 targets fails to fully cover scope three emissions. That's not the only way that coverage falls short. CO2 is a top priority and has a long lifespan in the atmosphere but we also need to deal with other greenhouse gases, particularly methane, which is highly potent. While the most recognized standard-setting initiatives emphasize the importance of addressing all greenhouse gases, several do not, which might help to explain why less than half of corporate net zero targets cover all greenhouse gases. Next up is O for offsetting, which some view as a moral hazard in itself. The fear here is that companies will use offsets to buy their way to net zero rather than reducing their own emissions. But the guidance is clear that such a strategy is not acceptable, and offsets can only be used to compensate for the hardest to abate emissions in a net zero strategy. However, nearly 40% of Forbes 2000 companies with net zero targets intend to use offsets and most do not specify quality conditions under which those offsets would be used. More detail is needed in corporate net zero plans as to how, when, and towards what claims voluntary credits will be used. R is for regular public reporting, which is critical for transparency but also soon to be mandatory across half of the global economy. About two-thirds of companies with net zero targets annually report their progress on emissions reduction through corporate sustainability reports and other channels. The final third will soon likely be required to do so. E is the last and most important consideration for net zero companies. It's about what companies are really all about at the end of the day, and that's people. To maintain credibility, net zero transition plans must consider equity for workers, for local communities, and for those most globally impacted by climate change. Your company will have to make bold moves in this great transition, and you'll need to take people with you. While this is not an easy metric to measure, our initial analysis suggested that no more than 10% of corporate committers explicitly considered equity in their net zero reports. If you're watching right now and you work for a company, take a moment to consider how your company scores across these key criteria. When we look back across these criteria and data points, my colleagues and I find that only one third of corporations that target net zero currently meet the minimum robustness criteria. Less than 5% meet all the leadership practices set out by the UN-backed high-level climate champions. However, ambitious companies are responding fast, and new reports and strategies are published with greater detail each quarter. You might have already felt pressure from customers or investors to improve your net zero strategy. More is almost certainly coming, including from regulators. And then we were fortunate to have the senator from the state of Rhode Island, Sheldon Whitehouse, as part of 
the keynote stage uh, in conversation with Victoria Mills, Managing Director of the Environmental Defense Fund. White House has been really involved in lots of different bipartisan efforts um, across policy areas, such as rebuilding infrastructure. He's been involved with toxic chemicals regulation. In this particular uh, instance, he had plenty to say um, on policy, on how corporations can uh, declare, if you will, their political footprint. Uh, and I zeroed in on two of the highlights. So the first one is his his call, and I think it really resonated with the audience. The chat really blew up. Um, he called for companies to disclose what he did actually call their political footprint. And just like you would report on financial results or climate strategy, uh, he was calling for people to talk about how they were uh, acting on policy, on lobbying, where they were putting their money. So here is Senator Whitehouse. In the same way that corporations uh, need to report their financial condition and the liabilities that they face to their shareholders and soon are going to have to report climate liabilities that they face to their shareholders under the SEC rule, they should also be reporting uh, their climate political activity. There should be an audited corporate political footprint statement that looks at lobbying, that looks at campaign contributions, that looks at dark money expenditures, and that looks at trade associations and gives the CEO and the board of directors and the shareholders an accurate view of what the corporation's stance is. Because all the time I see companies that say great things and maybe even do great things within their four walls and even within their supply chains, but when they come to Congress, all of that ambition evaporates and actually often is reversed so that their political influence operation is arguing against the things that they're publicly touting. And that is a bad gap for a company to be saying one thing and doing another. And the quicker the CEOs and the board know about the discrepancy, the quicker they can correct it and the faster we move forward on climate. I also appreciated his comments about how each of us can play a role in monitoring whether a company's political activities match what it markets to the public. So if you have a, an event or you have a, a gathering where you're, you're bringing together individuals that are um, speaking about climate action, um, these companies shouldn't necessarily be invited to forums um, if they're spreading mis misinformation. And so he, he talked about the need to sort of filter the, the action and the, the, the the walk versus the talk. So here's his comments on that uh, monitoring activity that he encouraged all of us to get better about doing. There are lots of people who are engaged in associations of various kinds. They may be university alumni. They may be members of environmental organizations. They may participate in conferences in which corporations wish to participate. In any one of those venues, you can advocate that the university, that the environmental group, or that the meeting forum actually require this as a condition, a ticket of admission for the corporation so that everybody knows who's really with you and who is there kind of under a mask of wanting to look sustainable while actually firing torpedoes into Congress's efforts to solve the problem. And I think um, across the board, that can be done. And the more that notion is percolating up through all these different groups, uh, the more they can move. And because this is voluntary in the sense of the groups deciding to do it, um, it can move pretty rapidly if it becomes 
something that people get behind virally, and it doesn't require us in Congress to mandate it or even a regulatory agency to mandate it. This is something that people of goodwill can simply require as your ticket to participation in civilized society uh, regarding environmental stuff. I think um, proper and full disclosure across the spectrum of corporate political activity as it relates to climate is really important. And you've got to understand that the lobbying is just one piece of it. You've got to also go on and look at the campaign contributions and evaluate the climate behavior of the people to whom the contributions are going. Then you've got to look at the trade associations and look at their track record, which is usually zero or bad. And that is it. There was a ton of great other comments. I know we're going to be publishing the uh, videos from each of these on YouTube at a later date. And I encourage you all to watch the Greenbiz social channels to find them. Joel, anything else you want to say? Well, I love uh, the idea of, of vetting companies that, that sponsor <laughs> COP and other events. So yeah. I think that's a, a mildly brillant uh, <laughs> Mildly suggestion. brilliant. I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good <laughs> yeah, one. <laughs> I, I would love to see that happen. But yeah. um, uh, as always, Heather, thanks so much for, um, for, for pulling those out and, and sharing those with the 350 audience. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenviz.com slash 350 to find more about the organization's stories and events we've mentioned this week. Don't forget to check out our free weekly newsletters. They're a great way to stay up to date all week long. There's seven of them, and you can find them at greenviz.com slash newsletters. We'd love to hear from you, your comments, questions, and tips, and you can hit us up at 350 at greenviz.com. I'll be off next week, but Heather and senior editor Jesse Klein will be back with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time. This episode is sponsored by Schneider Electric. Climate change is here, and so is the requirement to understand and report the risks that it brings to your business. As your partner in sustainability, Schneider Electric can help you navigate the winds of change. To see how, visit se.com forward slash climate risk.